Uh, yeah, it's not very difficult to get us out to Canmore. Um, so we're happy to be here. We're heading out on vacation after uh, the service, but actually it already feels like we're on vacation. So we're, we're grateful. And I think uh, I should probably say that my oldest daughter would love if you uh, wished her a happy birthday. She turns 18 in five days, and I know she's desperate to ask me to make a big deal about this. <laughs> it's an interesting day in the Rye Savvy family. If you've had an 18-year-old, you know. Uh, this morning, I want to talk about what it means to be a missionary. Now, I'll say this. Uh, Sean, I gave Sean a list of four different kind of topics or texts that I would cover, and he chose this one. So if it goes horribly, I can't actually take any of the blame. Um, but if it goes well, I can't also take any of the credit. So I'm trusting that God's Spirit has a reason why Sean said yes to preaching about Acts chapter 18 to you in Canmore uh, this morning. Um, but as we were discussing this, uh, and, and Bev had talked to me uh, just about missionary work very briefly, uh, what we want to say is missionary work isn't something that other people who are super Christians do. Actually, I believe, and I think I'll make a case from that from Acts 18, this is actually something that every person who calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ is called to. Uh, not in the same way, not in the same context, not with the same gifting, but the same purpose. That every single one of us is called to at least act and think like a missionary because you are one. And so that's why I want to uh, talk about this morning. I get that from John chapter 17, verse 18, which s Jesus, when he's praying for his disciples, and he's, he has the universal understanding of disciple in his mind here, he's saying, as the Father had sent me as a missionary to this earth, so I send you. So we have a parallel mission to Jesus, not exactly like Jesus, but it's parallel in that it mocks and imitates, essentially, going to people who have not yet understood who Jesus Christ is. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about, uh, I'm going to split it up three ways. Number one, what, what it means to be a missionary, so what missionary work is, uh, what happens when we do it, secondly, and thirdly, why we should be involved in it. So first of all, what missionary work is. Um, there's four things I want to talk about. I'm going to front load most of what I'm talking about in this first point. Um, but it's going to come from the text. So I want to read the text to you because I, I think it's critically important that we... Well, you are Trinity Bible Church, so it would be weird for me not to read the Bible this morning. Acts chapter 18, verse 1 says this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth... And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. 
And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a, it is a matter of questions about, your wor about words and names and your own law, so said it, to yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, new player, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sencre, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they had come to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. And on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next to the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Now, that's a long chapter in some ways. Maybe it's a confusing chapter to you. It feels a little bit like a bunch of scattered stories. It's almost like reading someone's journal entries, isn't it? And I think uh, sometimes uh, we, we look at texts like that and we, we want to separate any, everything all out. But I want to take a, a large picture and just gather some of the principles, some of the things that seem to line up the more and more I began to look at this. And so... Uh, the first thing we want to deal with is what it means to be a missionary. What missionary what work actually looks like. And I would say, first of all, it's about preaching. Now, uh, some of you are like, but there's only one preacher right now in the room. And actually, 
that's not necessarily true according to God's word. There's 33 uh, times that the word preaching shows up in the New Testament, 33 times. In about three to five of those times, would it define something like what I'm doing right now, publicly speaking, publicly preaching? The other instances that we find preaching often have to do with one-on-one conversations, small group conversations. In fact, there's one in the text later when uh, Priscilla and Aquila pull, uh, you know, Apollos aside and say, great, I love your passion, dude, but you're missing something here. And they explain the scriptures. Actually, that word is they preach the scriptures to him. So when we talk about preaching, I don't want you to get in your mind a public presentation that's incredibly organized. I want you to think of this as the kind of conversation that could happen at the back of the service or this afternoon as you try to inhale the oxygen out there uh, or in a, in a walk when you're walking your dog or when you're going on a hike or whatever it might be. That those are all aspects of what the Bible would say is preaching. Because when the Bible describes that everyone went out and preached the word, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about everyone being a missionary and preaching. Uh, I know that's kind of crazy to make these statements like, everyone's a preacher. Every might want to get that. Everyone's a preacher. Everyone's a missionary. Um, those are big statements to make. But this is what Paul does he actually does have some more organized thought or at least some more organized rhythm. And the first thing he does is preach in the public square. Preach in the public square. I grew up where I heard from people who had been part of a church for a long, long time. I don't really preach. I just, I just live. And hopefully people can gather who Jesus is from how I live. Now, at the time, I I wouldn't have any reason to challenge it, but now I would say I I really don't think that people look at someone's life and go, oh, you don't drink alcohol. Can you please describe the difference between sanctification and justification? We just don't work like that. So when we talk about preaching in the public square, it's very important to understand that Following Jesus is not a private issue. It's a public issue. And we see that all throughout the text. In every situation that Paul is in, he is making use of whatever public opportunity he has. Now, he chooses the synagogue, which actually ends up being a fairly strategic thing for him because the synagogue was the place where people were all ready to talk about Jewish theology. They were kind of primed. It would be a lot like a a church service, so to speak. People had already gathered. You're already expecting to get someone to stand up and talk. Um, And so it was also the place where Jews and Gentiles could mix together. According to the law, they weren't allowed to mix except in the synagogue, so to speak. And so this was the one place where he could get people that did not have a Jewish heritage and those who did have a Jewish heritage together, and they were ready to discuss the things of the God of the universe. And he knew that, which is why he did this when he was working as a tent maker or a leather worker and when he was doing it full time. He'd go in the synagogue and reason and persuade. And that's the other thing that I would say. He was looking for ways to reason with people who would listen and persuade people who would listen. 
I think sometimes we think of missionary work as speaking out a message just to get it off my back so that I can get on with the rest of my life. We do this out of a sense of guilt, not out of a sense of conviction for what's going on. Uh, We live about two blocks from the Peace Bridge, so just close your mind and think the totally opposite of where we are in Canmore. It's the center of the city. Uh, It's incredibly ethnically diverse. Um, It's crazy. Now, however, I am an avid fly fisherman. Any fly fishermen in the house? Amen. God be with you. Um, The cool thing is in the center of the city, no one else seems to be doing a lot of fly fishing. But I have stood in the river in Calgary and listened to a preacher scream for about half an hour as I fish. doesn't scare the fish away. They're used to it. But what I noticed, I'm not criticizing his methodology. What I noticed is that he seemed more concerned about speaking the message than he did about reasoning and persuading people. You see, he didn't seem to be bothered by the fact that nobody stopped to listen to him. That would have drove Paul crazy. He said, I'm not here to listen to myself talk. I'm not here to scream. I'm not here to get attention. I want you to meet Jesus. I wonder if this guy shouldn't just set up a booth that says, spiritual conversations, want to have one? And see what happens. Now, he was doctrinally correct. I listened quite carefully. He was pretty good. All his theology was excellent. Here was the problem. Nobody was listening to him. Nobody. And I'm not, again, I honestly like what he does a lot better than what I don't do. So this isn't a criticism of him personally as much as to say, when we talk about in the public square, the point isn't to get yourself winning the right argument. The point is to persuade people, to reason with people, which means you will have to do probably more listening in our culture than talking, probably more finding out what drives these people, what, what issues do they have, why is it that they reject Christianity? It takes time. You need to study. You need to listen. You need to be humble. You need to intentionally put yourself in places where people tell you things that you will not agree with, ever. This is what Paul does. He sits in the synagogue and he reasons and he persuades. And I would caution us all with this. I think it's an excellent piece of advice and it applies here. That the point here in reasoning and persuading is not to win the argument, but to win the person. I don't have to tell you this, but it's all over the internet, right? Social media. If you're on social media for, what, two seconds, all you see is people who want to win an argument. That's it. This is why it's so aggravating. They don't care about relationships. They just want to be right. Paul is not interested in being right. He knows he's right. He's not worried about that. He wants people to meet Jesus because he knows that the gospel is good news for everyone, not just him. Now, as missionaries, I think we have to actually believe that the gospel is good news, that the fact that Jesus Christ came not just to give us life, but to show us how we must die, and then we live in him. 
how he forgives sins, how he changes our purpose, how he radically transforms our life, how he, he sends us on a, an eternal trajectory that is second to none. I mean, if we don't believe this, we will never engage publicly with those who don't need, know Jesus because we will say, that ah, doesn't matter to me. But I tell you, when you find something good, you can't stop telling people. And this is what we've noticed about social media, right? You should have seen the restaurant I was just at. Look at what I cooked for lunch. Right? Why do we do this? We love it. We love it. And we, there's something in us that has to tell others about what we love. This is very key when talking about missionary work. But Paul also preaches in the private sector, meaning he uses his work as, an, as a tool and an opportunity. Some of you don't think of your work as a tool for missionary work because you say, oh, well, I can't say anything at my work. I'm not allowed to talk about the gospel at work. And I, I would say that's a whole different issue. We can talk about that. be happy to talk with you about that after the service. But I would say this. There's a way in which you can do your work. There's a way in which you can run your business. There's a way in which you can take advantages of opportunities. There's a way in which you can use your work to build relationships that provide for the kind of conversations. That's what I had to do as a framer, by the way. As a framer, a guy who talks a lot is not an asset to the crew. I found that out the hard way. I had an evaluation from a, a framer. He said, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. Little piece of advice, shut it. And you know what? I didn't realize. I thought, man, I, I'm I, what? I can't be a missionary if I'm not opening opening my mouth. So what I did was I shut my mouth. I worked as hard as I could, and you know what I had? I had instant credibility with my boss, who then came over to my house and had a conversation with me. So when it comes to thinking of your work expand maybe your view that it becomes a tool whatever God has delivered to you as an opportunity to what? Build a relationship? Say something out loud? Talk about your values? Why you do what you do? And to do it in a way that brings glory to God, not, not your bank account. That you, you make decisions not because it's financially best, but because it's good for people. If you do that, people will ask you questions. Why do you do that? And you can say, because it's not my business and it's not my money. I'm just a steward of the king who sent me to be a missionary and a steward of this work. So you can use your work in any capacity. Thirdly, uh, preaching in the domestic life. This is key for us in our culture. That's the reason why we moved to Sunnyside. Sunnyside is one of the most expensive places in the city. We're probably one of the poorest people in the city, but we felt called to move there because we knew that a lot of Christians had left and that a lot of people that showed up in Sunnyside were not Christian and that Jesus loved them and needed somebody to tell them about it. But primarily, primarily our missionary opportunities, by the way, as a family, have come through home life. Conversations over the fence. We live in a very, very high-trafficked area, about two blocks from a sea train station, which provides a lot of interesting stories. Um, 
but what we noticed is it, it's very hard to sit in our backyard and ha not have a conversation with someone that I, we don't know. And you can get annoyed by that, or you can see that as an opportunity for mission. Two days ago, I prayed for a guy, told him Jesus loved him. He was weeping because a number of his close family have passed away, and he didn't know where to find hope. And I was working through this message, and I, I looked at him, and I said, All I, there's, I only have one answer, brother. That's Jesus. Jesus is the only hope here. Can I pray for you? Oh, I'd love that. Burst into tears. He's not there yet. He has Catholic background. He's got all kinds of interesting things in his life. But we've grown to love him deeply. That came from having open eyes in our home. I would never know him any other way. I would never bump into him on the street. Missionary work requires us to carefully look at our home life. And lastly, uh, preaching as part of a gospel preaching ecosystem. One of my personal passions is this idea that uh, we need to gather together as churches, not to dumb down, by the way, our theological beliefs or convictions, not to separate and make all churches into the same sort of thing, but to see each church, each person in a church, and each church in a city or town as part of an ecosystem. You know what an ecosystem is, right? Were you talking about this? Don't mess with an ecosystem? What happens when you mess with an ecosystem? It messes everyone up, right? Uh, I read this about beavers. Beavers have a greater impact on their ecosystem than any other animal on, on earth. When they do something, it affects an entire ecosystem. It can shut it down. As a fly fisherman, I'm not so great on the beaver thing. Because I know the impact. If we begin to think of ourselves as, what part do we play in the town of Canmore? Because I, maybe I'll challenge you a little bit. You don't think you, as a church alone, can reach this whole town, right? You don't think you are, as a church, exclusive, the only way to, to find Jesus. No, you're part of an ecosystem. You're part and parcel. Listen to the ecosystem that shows up in Corinth and Ephesus. Paul, he says, I'm a planter. I start things. I preach the gospel. I find disciples. I get churches. And then when I'm done, I move on. Does he, could he pastor them? I guess so. But he's like, my work is done here. And he moves on. He's like, Paul, Apollos shows up. Who's Apollos? Apollos is the teacher. He's the discipler. He's really passionate. Probably more passionate than Paul. That's why it shows up. It doesn't say Paul, like, passionately went into the synagogue. It says Apollos did, meaning the writer, Luke, probably was like, this guy actually has a lot of personality, and this guy's a little dull, but he starts things. There's, a, there's Aquila and Priscilla. They're disciple makers. They invite Paul into their home. They provide opportunities for work for him. There's Silas and Timothy. They come with funds from another church so that Paul doesn't have to work six days a week and then on his day off go into the synagogue. There's Titius, Justice, more funding, more support. They get saved on the way, but the first thing they do is start providing support. In fact, they actually provide support, I think, before they become Christians. There's Crispus. He makes civic pathways for the gospel. So he's a synagogue leader who comes to know Jesus. 
And as a synagogue leader, he's trying to find ways for Paul and give Paul opportunities. Uh, there's Sosthenes, poor guy. <laughs> Guess what he does? He gets beat up for Jesus. He takes the brunt of all of the opposition in that city. Paul doesn't. The other synagogue leader apparently doesn't. Nor do Priscilla and Aquila. But Sosthenes takes the heat. It took an entire ecosystem to reach these cities. And I think this is why I'm so passionate. I, I'm, I'm just not sure we're seeing gospel movement forward in our towns because we think we're the ecosystem. We think individual families, individual churches are the ecosystem. We're part of it. We're all part of it. We're a very small part in Calgary, but we're a part. What will it take to understand what part that is? Be okay as a missionary going, this is what I do well, and this is what someone else does well. And we unite together, and together we see the gospel move forward. i got to move on here. Second thing we see that uh, in the text is what happens when we do it? What happens when we do it? Well, a few, two things, conflict and conversions. I, I will say this. When good missionary work is done, when any missionary work is done, there will be conflict. Because any good missionary work preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, it was good, we made it bad, God made it good again. Salvation is of the Lord, is the most compact way we can say the gospel. That means you don't have what it takes, and neither do I. That's the gospel. At some point, that confronts our culture, no matter which way you come at it. The gospel confronts every single person with the fact that they cannot earn their own salvation to God. The gospel confronts everyone with the fact that someone else is in authority. The gospel confronts everyone in the world that we are in need of a Lord and a Savior. And when we have a culture that is being their own Lord and being their own Savior, there is no way you can preach the gospel without at some point entering into opposition and conflict. There just isn't. If you don't like conflict, it's impossible to be a disciple. Now, this conflict doesn't have to be all the same. It doesn't have to be mean. It doesn't have to be argumentative. It doesn't have to be any of those things. Paul had a defense all the time. In fact, he was ready to give a defense, and the proconsul's like, hold it, I got this, Paul. <laughs> Thanks. I got it from here. You guys, this is like civil claims court. I don't know what you're doing here. See you later. But it confronted, it confronted the Jews who realized our way of life is going to be obsolete if he's right. It confronted the Gentiles who were Roman because it said, Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is. This isn't Caesar's world. It's God's. It's the Son's. When people realize this, and most people that I found, when, we sh when, when I share the gospel, I, I realize how it's in opposition because most people, instead of hearing that it's good news, they hear it bad news. You know why? Because they don't hear what they receive from Jesus. They only hear what they have to give up. Any one of you struggled to become a Christian at some point because you just did not want to give something up? That's what you heard? 
Paul doesn't say give it up. He says, look what you can get. Look what you can get, right? If you've raised children and you've tried to explain anything to them, lots of times they will only hear the bad thing. They will only hear, like, I, I don't get what I want. They won't hear all the love. They won't hear all of the design that you've put into what you want to offer them. When you go into the dollar store and you're like, we can't buy that, they hear, why? Because we've got other things to buy. And they're like, ugh. And they don't know that you're setting that money aside for a vacation and you don't want to waste it on dollar store stuff. They hear all of what's getting taken away. When we preach the gospel, it will confront these things. But we'll also see conversions. And by conversions, I literally mean conversions. They may be gradual, but they are conversions. Why? Because the gospel requires, uh, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ requires us to repent and believe. We cannot add the gospel into our already pantheistic idea of how God works or whatever God there is or whatever way you want to God. Paul says there's one way to God. There's many ways to Jesus, but there's one way to God through Jesus. There's one way to God for Gentiles who don't have a Jewish background. There's one way to God for Jews who have a history of this God. There's one way. That in itself is an offensive thing. We would know this as the word exclusivity. Yes, there is one religion that provides this. It is Jesus Christ. Friends, people will choose this. And lastly, why do we need to do this? Why do we need to do this? Well, we actually sang about it, but I'm going to tinker with some of the words here. Because actually, what we find in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, which this chapter of Acts is an application of that chapter, it says this. It's called the Great Commission. So in other words, if you have been a follower of Jesus Christ for any length of time, there's a good chance you've heard this verse. I'll run and read it for us and talk about it a, a second. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and baptizing them, or sorry, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. You see, that says, this is not only my Father's world, this is my Son's world. This is the Son's world. All authority. Um, I think we have the same definition in Canmore as we do in Calgary of all, right? What does all mean? All? All authority. All spiritual authority? All physical authority? All emotional authority? All authority has been given to me. We don't read that in the Great Commission very often, and we don't even think it's an important part, but listen to what... He says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth, therefore, go. You see, too many times, one of the reasons why we don't go is because we go on our own authority. I should go. I should be better. I should share my faith. 
Why? Because that's the right thing to do. No! We go because we have been sent by the one who has all authority. That's why. We serve at the pleasure of our king. We have not been sent on our own authority, with our own gifts, for our own mission. No. When we choose Jesus Christ, we sign up to be his servant. We sign up to be radically transformed in everything that we do, including our mission. If Jesus is King and Messiah, which he is, which he purchased through his death and his resurrection and his sacrifice, and he now reigns over this world, and he says, go, you go. That's the way it works. And we disciple then the nations. That would be a good translation of that. Go and, and disciple the nations. Go and teach them how to follow Jesus. Secondly, just like we see in the text, the Lord says to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, because he probably had a propensity to be afraid, like you and I, right? What happens when we get opposition? We move on. We might say it's a closed door, right? Oh, this door is closed. We go to another open door. There is not that theology in the text. In fact, we find, oh, there's a closed door. Stay longer and keep knocking. Oh, there's an open door. Sorry, you got to get out of here. So the Jews in one town are like, we hate you. And he's like, God told me to stay. In another town, they're like, you know what? We, we can do more Bible studies. He's like, I got to go. Sorry. I follow Jesus. I don't follow whether I have opposition or success. I follow the Spirit of God. This is critically important for us to understand. And he says it right there. All places have people that are yet belong to Jesus. That's what Jesus tells him through his spirit in his dream. Don't leave yet. Why? Because there's Easter eggs you haven't found. There's people that belong to me because I have all authority that you don't know about. So keep talking until they come to know me. You don't know who they are, but he does. The reason why you don't have to worry about this is because it's not on your authority. It's not on your shoulders. So you can share freely with everyone and anyone. Because lastly, this shows us that all people can have access to this universal Savior. He is the universal truth. He is the one Savior in the world that does not need you to be a certain ethnicity, a certain gender, a certain age, a certain class in order to have access. He says, anyone who wants me to be their Lord and Savior can come into my kingdom. This is why we can go. Because we have the truth as followers of Jesus Christ of the one solution to everyone's problem. Everyone's problem. And so why can we do this? Because we, have, we serve at the pleasure of the Almighty King who has all authority. Because there are people in the town of Canmore who do not yet know that there is a universal Savior that can change and heal and serve them and that He is available to anyone, anyone 
who trusts in him. Let's pray as we continue our service. So Jesus, I want to pray for this church. I, I, I really don't know, Jesus, what kind of history is here, what it's been like to be a missionary in this town, what it's like to be part of this church. But Jesus, I just trust that your words to them will have impact. That everyone here that heard something that sounds a little bit like what they missed out on, Jesus, that they will forget. But they, they will remember that they are part of a kingdom of missionaries and priests who get to permeate the culture like the smoke is permeating this town. Who get to overwhelmingly share how good your news is to this town. Jesus, I pray for those who belong to you here in this town who have not yet come to know you. And I pray that the people who are going to be missionaries to those people will see them with different eyes, that you will give them the words they need, the passion, the courage, the intentionality, the eyesight to see and think and act like missionaries, Jesus. We thank you for this time. We trust your spirit will continue to do his work. And we want to glorify you through that, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.